You are listening to the Lighter Side Show audio podcast with Jamie Butler, the everyday medium, produced by the Lighter Side Network. Visit and subscribe to thelightersidenetwork.com for hundreds of video episodes exploring wholeness living, energy work, trans channeling, and more. The Lighter Side Network, where the everyday meets the extraordinary. Hi, Lumineers. Welcome to the Lighter Side Show podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Butler, the everyday medium. And at the table today, I have Colleen Ziegler, host of Heal Yeah podcast. Hi, everyone. And online, we have Dan Drazen. Woo! Howdy, howdy. All the way from California today, right? Yep. yep. Thank you so much for being here with us. It's always a pleasure. And waking up early for us. Yes. That's, that's not always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a night owl, and uh, I wouldn't do this for anyone else, so you understand. Oh, well, we appreciate you. I'm up at six in the morning. Anyway, no, no Thank problem. Thank you. No problem. I'm really enjoying being with you this morning. Well, we have you here today because you are a, do I say documentarist? That's <laughs> Yeah, you can say that. I've been doing uh, documentary films and other media production pretty much all my adult life. Yeah, but there's something different about you, Dan. Oh, dear. Yeah, you don't do it the traditional way. Your well, subject is quite unique. Well, well since uh, since about 2000, um, I've jumped into the fray of afterlife research. Actually, since about 1990, I've been really intrigued with the whole field of afterlife research, uh, having been down various rabbit holes most of my life. And um, around 2000, I started uh, shooting a film which 15 years later has been released as a 95 minute feature documentary called Calling Earth. Yes. And it's about instrumental transcommunication, communication with the other side through modern electronics. And uh, it's one of the two films that I'll be showing um, at your center in April. Uh, is it April or May? It's May, I think. May, in May, May right. yes. yes. At the Center right. for Love and Light, you're coming in for a long weekend. And we're going to highlight two of your documentaries. One is The Calling Earth that you just mentioned that you just said took 15 years to do. Yeah, yeah it took 15 years to complete. And um, for about five or six of those years, I worked with co-producer Tim Coleman. He and I traveled around the United States, uh, England, Scotland, and Spain. Uh, we were actually shooting several films at once. Uh, I ended up completing the film known as Calling Earth, which you'll see. And uh, Tim ended up completing a film on the Skoll experiment, which I'll speak about in a minute. And the film that I'm going to be showing, or the second film I'm going to be showing at your center, is a rough cut that Tim and I did before he went off and finished his version of it. Uh, it's very rarely seen, and um, it contains more material about the Skoll experiment which I'll describe in a moment. But um, I enjoy showing this film. It raises a lot of questions. And um, usually the Q&As go on till the cows come home. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. <laughs> After we show these films. And I'm going to enjoy having um, extra time. Normally we show the films in the evenings. I've been showing the film to IANS and IONS groups uh, in the Bay Area and also around the country for the past few years. And uh, we usually have an evening screening and then a Q&A that goes on for a few hours until I have to close the place. So <laughs> I think I'm going to enjoy having the extra time 
to um, dialogue with, with your folks there. I don't have a formal structure for the workshop. I've never no had. Need. What happens is we, we start with a Q&A and it just goes on forever. And the, one of the most fascinating things to me that I've learned from doing all these, these dialogues with people is the different places that people come from and, and where their questions come from. Right. And so for me, it's a, it's a kind of an exercise in understanding how we create our own reality and how people see different things. And sometimes perspectives are, are incredibly different. And it, it comes out in the questions people ask and the language they use and so on. And my exercise is to try to meet them where they are. And when I do that, it broadens my own understanding of, of people's perspective, my understanding of consciousness, and of how people approach the whole question of the afterlife and, and what they make of it. I mean, I, I don't like the term afterlife. It seems too limiting to me. Yeah, it implies uh, it's linear. Mm -hmm. it, well, it, it is linear. And it's like, you know, we say afterlife, it's like the tail you pin on the donkey, you know, this, this <laughs> minor, minor little appendage that you stick on after what's after the real stuff. And uh, I've, over the years, I've kind of, my perspective has kind of shifted um, to where I view it as the greater reality and that our incarnations are sort of a, um, a more constrained uh, experience of, of being. And uh, so, and I think everyone's, everyone's perception of this lies along a spectrum there. Right. And I'm, cu I'm curious about you, Jamie, and where you come from in your perspective, in your experience. Oh, well, I'll be there every minute that you are here at the Center for Love and Light. And anytime you want to ask, I'll share. <laughs> I, have, I have, well, actually I, have a question I, for both of you. Okay. Yeah. If you could pick a new name for afterlife, what, what would you pick? What would be the term that you would use? Well, in, in, the, in the writing of this book I'm working on, I'm basically referring... Whoa, wait, to, you're writing a book? Uh, yeah, I'll get into that in a moment. <laughs> Dan, there's yes. so much going I'm, on. I'm, this is so exciting. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, basically, I'm coming from, from the perspective. I call it the greater reality, and I call our incarnate existence, a kind of a subset of, a, of the greater reality. It's not that it's less real. Uh, it's what's happening for the moment in our, in our consciousness. Um, but it's part of a larger, a larger framework of reality. And the, my favorite metaphor for it is uh, what happened during the Renaissance when prior to that, we, we thought the earth was the center of the universe. Mm. What, what could be more obvious after all? We had no reason to believe otherwise. And at that time, all the cultures on the earth that we know about believed that the earth was the center. And then a few guys like Copernicus and Galileo came along um, and demonstrated very clearly that the sun was the center of the local universe. And now we take that for granted. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't think about it the other, the other way anymore. Right. And, and just the simple shift of perspective made all the difference in terms of our understanding of, of aspects of the natural world. Now, similarly with life and death, you know, we, our culture has trained us to believe that the, in, the incarnate existence is bedrock reality. Mm -hmm. And that if there is an afterlife, it's something that gets sort of tacked on as a little extra 
The donkey's tail. The donkey's tail, right. (laughs) Um, But when you start shifting your perspective, a lot of what we've learned from from all of the whole spectrum of afterlife studies begins to make real sense now. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, the purpose of, of life as we know it becomes clearer. And um, I think is, uh, it's, it's easy to want to sort of proselytize, but I try to avoid doing that and, you know, respecting people's point of view, but also very gently trying to um, draw people into a slightly different perspective. Yeah, I and find. One, one of the, yes, go ahead. Excuse me. I, I find that when I discover more about the greater reality, that there's more holes in my belief and my knowing of the incarnate that I'm living. Mm-hmm. You know, things mm-hmm. don't add up as easily as they did before. Right. I just thought I'd throw that out there. No, I, that's very interesting. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I think that, that the, the holes in our understanding of, you know, what we call ordinary life um, can be filled in uh, more sensibly the more we see it for what it is. Um, just in, in, in this vein, I sometimes in, in my talks and my Q and A's, uh, I'll say things like, um, well, death is nothing to be afraid of. Cause look, you know, we're already dead. <laughs> I say it with a smile and a chuckle. And the, and what I mean by that is that if we are conscious at all, that consciousness is not a physical thing. That consciousness is on the other side. We're just looking through these eyes and feeling through these bodies. So, you know, what's to be afraid of when we're already there? I'm lo- sorry. I'm, I was pausing. and, <laughs> and I that, love that. I agree with him 100%. I mean, that's how I see it, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, not every day. I'm not claiming to be sure. aware at all moments. But when you step back and think about it, absolutely. That's how I would sign up for it, too. Yeah. Yeah, so I had the pleasure of being in your presence in Maui when there was a conference there. We were on the, the panel together, and, and I came and I watched Calling Earth and sat in on your questionnaire, which indeed you had to shoo people away <laughs> as the place was closing down. You were like, goodbye, shaking hands, answering questions, and enlightening us and encouraging wow. us, and and then the lights went out, and I have not been the same since. I tell you, this is very serious. When I think about the days where, even as a medium now for 29 years publicly, Mm -hmm. I have moments where I say, well, God, is is this really real? I mean, Mm -hmm. even though I do it and I get validation all the time, I float back to your documentary, Mm -hmm. Calling Earth, to the things that you were able to document and to capture and... I don't second guess myself after that moment. You're like, Jamie, remember this? Like we're in this. And what you actually, what you saw was an early version of that film. Right. There, there's, there are a few more goodies in it, which you will see at the screen. I'm so excited. I'm making popcorn for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. This goes for anyone who is listening. And if you know someone who is interested in EVP phenomena, capturing can I say proof of well, greater reality? I, I don't use the word proof because proof, Thank you. you know, in, in, in science, for example, proof is really nothing more than a consensus. 
You know, what we have, what we have is evidence. And then, and when, when evidence is interpreted and tested by enough people who have a certain consensus about their reality, uh, then it has put the stamp of proof on it. And maybe next year, something else will take that place. So I try to avoid proof. And I also try to avoid uh, defining things too narrowly, because if you look even at the history of science, you find that that what's true or what's absolute or what's definitive evolves over time. Hmm. And it's the nature of, of of human understanding and knowledge that that um, you know, there's there's no fixed point in time where we have a, a, the definitive truth. All we can do is the best we can do at a given point in time. So I think if we understand things in, in this more fluid way. Uh, than things like afterlife research and psychic research, psi in general, um, become much more easy to understand, even though by the, the standards of, of materialist or mechanist science, uh, they may seem um, a little fluid, let's say. Hmm. Um, but I think we're, we're zeroing in on, on a consensus and language, and which this is another thing that that I've uh, I've been focusing on, and that is the question of language and semantics, which in, in all of these you know spiritual areas kind of suffers from yes this hodgepodge of um, you know different concepts and different languages, religious language, uh, spiritualist language, scientific language. So again, we're we're doing the best we can do with this. And I don't know that a, you know, a, a standard lexicon is ever going to be arrived at in this field, but I think we're moving a little closer to it. And this is one of the things that I'm kind of looking at in my book, this question of language, because it so determines the meaning we make of things. And, um, you know, it, it, it can encourage or discourage our, our looking into and being willing to experience certain things. Um, there are a lot of superstitions in our culture, for example, yes. that um, are are not well understood. Skeptics, for example, love to use the term occult because it has this sort of um, aura, negative aura about mm -hmm. it. All, all it means is hidden. I mean, it's just a simple <laughs> etymology of it. It just simply means occult, a, a hidden. Um, but uh, there's all these this innuendo and and um, kind of cultural overlay on the language. So it's one of the things that I'm taking a look at, and I, I don't pretend to have any ultimate solutions, but I'm fascinated with it. Dan, um, do you have an ETA on this book? Um, well, I'd love to have um, a manuscript draft by the middle of the year, if I possibly can. I have I have a notoriously poor attention span, so I, <laughs> I'm. <laughs> it's going to be an adventure for me to really focus on this because uh, I'm interested in everything and I'm kind of spread out all over the place. But um, I think I'm going to enjoy this. I have a pile of notes, and the challenge for me is organizing into something that's that's readable in plain language. And it's basically my my audience is people who have, are interested in or have inklings about the notion of an afterlife, but who believe that science forbids it. Oh, wow. Mm. And, and that's, that's the one misunderstanding that, I'm, that I'd like to break through on this. Because science, you know, Western materialist science, is the de facto religion of our time. It mm -hmm. dictates the boundaries of reality, and that's what religions do. 
So I'm trying to make that a little more transparent and um, to show that we have, that individuals have a right to have their experiences, to believe as they do, and to feel okay about, about validating their own reality. That's such an important topic. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. We're having you back once it's published. I I can't wait to read it myself. (laughs) (laughs) But that validation point is something that you hit on in Calling Earth again and again and again. That evidence. I like. I love that you correct and help me gain stronger words to explain. You know what this world really is. Mm Well, I think we're, we're, you know, when, when I'm, I'm with you and your folks there, I think we'll all be doing some learning because I learn from everyone who, who asks questions of me. And sometimes I'm, I'm surprised, even shocked at things I haven't thought of or haven't looked at that other people find interesting or have done their own research on. So this is an, for me, it's an endless process of, of growth and learning and, and getting to know people and their, their points of view. I mean, we, we learn by what we we learn consciously by what we notice in life and we absorb unconsciously what we don't notice and there's always this interplay between the two um and we make meaning out of this this combination of conscious and unconscious perception Uh, i could i've i've never been in your home we could you and i could walk into your living room for 30 seconds and come out and compare notes about what we saw there, I would have seen a bunch of furniture. You would have seen things that you have a lifetime of association with. Right. I was once, uh, I mentioned this briefly in my book, um, I was once up on the top of the Berkeley Hills with a friend for about an hour, uh, looking out over San Francisco Bay. It was a beautiful day. And there must have been a football game going on or something because there's this big blimp flying back and forth across the bay. You could not miss it blindfolded. There's this huge <laughs> aircraft going back and forth. So we're up there for an hour or so and we're done and we're walking back to the car and I made mention of the blimp for some reason. My friend said, what blimp? What? So, you know. True. But what did she notice that I didn't? I don't know. She must have seen all the other UFOs. Or she must have been paying attention to the ground. <laughs> to the ground. The flowers, the flowers. or the bugs. Right. Yeah. Of yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, what's, what's reality? You know, e- even, even the most um, careful mm-hmm. scientific analysis of the entire environment, which is impossible because no one, no one can cast the net that wide and, and observe and analyze everything. Uh, even that is is at best going to be a superficial understanding. Wow. So part of, part of, mm. of what I'm trying to express in this book is that even at the best of times, our knowledge is approximate, and that's okay, as long as we recognize that. As long as you keep telling us it's okay, <laughs> then, <laughs> then I'm I, good with it. I love that quote, because I'm going to say right. it again. Even at the best of times... Our knowledge is approximate. It's yeah. so important to remember. And put the, and that's okay. And that's okay. <laughs> Dan Drazen. And, so, it. and it's, we also have no choice. It's right. just how it is. It's how we're yeah. made. Is, yeah. Dan, I'm curious, 
you know, over the years of you doing your documentaries and doing all of your research and travel, how do you see that it's changed? Because in my own reality, I feel like people are more accepting of of all of this right now, of the afterlife, I'm going to use that term, or of mediums. Uh, they're just, they seem more open than ever. Are you feeling that as well, compared to when you first started your research? Um, I think, yeah, to, to some extent. Obviously, the 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 literature, primarily the near death experiments, experience literature, mm -hmm. beginning back in the in the nineteen seventies, uh, has begun to open some minds. Um, but but as far as the general population is concerned, I don't really know. I, I don't have a handle on it. And you guys and I, we're preaching to the choir. Mm -hmm. Now we we mm -hmm. have folks around us who are already interested and involved and engaged and curious. Mm -hmm. And, um, but how the, the culture at large is, it's hard to tell. I mean, I, I don't watch much TV, so I don't really, I'm not that in tune with the popular culture. Um, I know that uh, people like Oprah Winfrey and others have uh, been successful in popularizing a broader view of things. Um, but, you know, I wish I had a better sense of it. I really don't. I just, I basically kind of mind my business and do the best I can in trying to bring this stuff out. And, uh, you know, pe either people will accept it or they won't. And uh, so I, I'm, I may not be the best person to ask that question. Uh, you, you guys might even know better than I. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I, we, I don't know. You know, sometimes we may have a skewed version of reality because yes. this is our reality. Yeah. So when this is my reality every day, of course, I'm going to think that, oh, everyone's getting more open-minded about everything, but it just might be you getting more in Colleen's world. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, another thing is that every, every generation learns things fresh. And, you know, what we, what we in our time and in our lives have taken for granted, you know, another generation will, will come along and they'll be exposed to different things. And then when they get to be our age, they'll start to rediscover what we may have discovered 50 years ago. Hmm. So, and yeah. you know, there's obviously over time, there are different social things, social and political and other forces going on. You know, today we're, uh, excuse me, you know, today we're, um, you know, dealing with environmental crises of various kinds um, possibility of, of some very serious breakdowns, which are already beginning to happen in some places. And, you know, how, how we approach those things, I think, are, is a very important spiritual question for us. Uh, a very good friend of mine, um, I don't want to get too much into this now, but a very good friend of mine uh, is, has just preparing a, her own book uh, for publication she had a friend who was a very well-known <clears throat> transpersonal psychologist who passed away a year and a half ago. Last spring, the psychologist started coming into my friend's head and has dictated a book. And it's, um, it's with some urgency that she dictated it because she feels that um, thing, things could get pretty dicey in the world. Yes. And, you know, we just the other day, there was this huge storm in East Africa that killed so many people and displaced people. And, you know, there are climate driven migrations 
and things like that that are going to probably be getting worse over the coming years. And so I think that with, with this in mind, there's a kind of an urgency or at least a should be, I think, a focus on understanding the nature of life and death in a deeper way. So um, again, I don't have a, any, I don't have a panacea for this. I think that, that um, I think there are probably some critical times ahead that will, that will make it um, desirable for us to have a more um, holistic view of life and death. Do you know, I feel like people who are on the fringe mm-hmm. and maybe you're listening to this because it was recommended to you or you stumbled across it because of whatever, mm-hmm. that taking an easier approach such as walk, watching your documentaries or watching somebody else's documentaries where you're, you're already prepped to think that you're about to be entertained because that's what mm-hmm. the movies do for you. That's what TV does. That's what video is about. Entertain me. Just show me something. And to have a series of these evidential points that can lead to aha moments, that can shift a perspective, that can be prepared to be able Mm -hmm. to read maybe what your friend is channeling into this book would be like the the most perfect, easy, or slide in to Mm -hmm. it kind of approach. Well, I, I hope so. The, my friend's book is is quite well written, and it's it, it's not about the 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 risks that are occurring in the world so much as the experience of crossing over, the experience of the afterlife, and um, and making that uh, a more a more acceptable and um, how to put this. Uh, again, if it's when you see that as the greater reality, a lot of our uh, the vicissitudes of life, you know, whether they're in the world at large or in our personal lives, can fall into a, a uh, an easier perspective. And maybe one day yeah. Dan will share with us what his friend's name is, <laughs> but that's for later, right? Because the book is just being oh, written. I'll I'll, me- I'll mention this uh, when I visit. Mm, that'd be wonderful. wonderful. Yes, thank yeah. you. It, every, every the book is being finalized and the title is being nailed down and so on. So Good. Um, I'll I'll mention this uh, in the workshop. Well, and I'd love to. I'll, hopefully, I'll have a copy of it in my hand. Okay. Oh, that would be awesome. Please, or even some copies Several that you could copies, bring. Yeah. Yes, that we can sell. <laughs> I think I, I think I think I can give it a, give the the title away as it is now. It's called Seven Questions About Life After Life. Ooh, oh, we've got that. Yeah. All right. I like that. So, I'd and, like to yeah. get you to maybe summarize a little bit about what calling Earth is, and then I want to jump into the skull experiment because I've got a lot of questions on this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, um, calling Earth surveys the field of what's called instrumental transcommunication, which simply means communication with the other side through technology. Uh, it was first um, it was first noted in the early part of the 20th century, but the first documentation we have of it in the, is in the, from the 1950s, when tape recorders became consumer items, and mm. you know, people had them as in, in their homes, and um, uh, recorded their families, their parties, whatever, 
and occasionally people noticed uh, voices on the tapes that shouldn't be there. Either mm -hmm. they were on brand new blank tapes or during silent portions of recorded tapes. And in the United States, uh, these things were written off as, well, the machine is picking up the stray radio broadcast or something like that. And that's as far as it went. But in Europe, a number of researchers started taking this seriously. And um, one, the, the first one to take it seriously was a man named Friedrich Jorgensen. He was a Swedish um, artist and filmmaker. And uh, he was out one night recording nocturnal bird sounds for a documentary. And when he listened to the tape back, not only did he hear the nocturnal bird sounds, he heard faint voices discussing nocturnal bird sounds. What? Wow. So <laughs> Helping him out, thing, huh? Let, one thing led to another, and he f started theorizing that these voices were coming from the other side. So he started to experiment. He would roll the tape, and he would ask a question, and then leave a period of silence and ask another question. And when he played the tape back, he would sometimes get answers to these questions. And on one occasion, he heard the voice of his deceased mother calling him by his childhood nickname. Wow. And this turns out to be a pattern that a number of uh, researchers in this field um, of what was then called electronic voice phenomena uh, would hear their deceased parents calling them by their nicknames that they were given as a child. So this obviously is highly evidential. And um, anyway, Jurgensen went on to record many of these voices. He was then followed by a, a Latvian psychologist named Konstantin Raudova, who jumped on this very quickly, realized the value of it. And by the time he passed, he had recorded 70,000 examples of these voices. Oh my wow. gosh. Some of which you will hear in my film. Um, Raudova then, as, as has been the case with a number of these early experimenters, they have passed over and have started communicating to their colleagues who are still on yes. Earth, and both in, in um, voice and in pictures. Do you know that's my plan, Dan, when I leave? I'm, I'm yeah. coming back as the EVP voice, and <laughs> I'm going to tell people what's up. We'll be listening okay. for you, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of my well, greater plan here. <laughs> great, great. It's um, nice to know others have done it. I joke, but that is extremely profound. Well, I mean, 70,000 examples, that's unreal. I mean, it's just... Yeah, well, he, you, worked, he worked yeah. for, for, for many years. Um, there, were, there were also experimenters such as Klaus Schreiber, who you'll see in the film, who um, he, was, he had no technical knowledge, essentially. He was trained as a saddlesmith. But he had experienced the, the death of a number of his close relatives in a rel relatively short time. And he was, someone suggested to him to try EVP, electronic voice, uh, using a tape recorder, which he did successfully. And one of the voices that came through the recorder suggested that he start working with video, which was home video is in a fairly primitive state at the time. And he really didn't know his way around it. But with the help of an electronics engineer, he created a system whereby images of deceased folks, including some of his relatives, came through on video monitors. And you will see some of this in my film as well. Yeah, that blew uh, me away when I saw it. And, and right, and then when he passed over, <clears throat> excuse me, 
when he passed over, uh, he then sent his picture back to colleagues in Luxembourg uh, through a fax machine. No, excuse me, it was, it was through an early personal computer. And you'll see this photograph as well in, in my film. So um, the, there are, and there are others who have experimented with video and, and gotten some very, very interesting images on video monitors that you know not connected to an antenna and so on. So you're, uh, the basis of Calling Earth is documenting from early findings of evidence of afterlife? Yeah, Do you follow it sequential, like all the way up to current day? Uh, pretty much. The, the most recent uh, material in the film was um, some footage that I shot around, I think it was 2014 or so, in Holland, of a young fellow by the name of Robert Vandenbroek, uh -uh. who has had strange things go on it around him all his life. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, he, he's, he's amazing. Um, you can hand him your own digital camera uh -huh. and he will just point it at the wall and shoot a series of, of photos of the wall. And then when you review the photos, uh, very often there are images on them. Uh, some of them are kind of enigmatic and, and uh, abstract. Others are very clearly images of deceased people. I have so, and you'll see I, when when I visited him, I set up a, a very tightly controlled situation that it was could impressive. not be faked. And you will see some of the results that we got in this experiment. Yeah, how so, you managed not only to interview him because he was a very unique personality, um, how you were able to confine kind of the experiment in a way. What do you, I'm looking for the word and I can't imagine it. Isolate? Like, isolate? I don't know. I'm well, double blind? Was, double blind? Well, it, was, it was a controlled situation. I brought my own okay. camera, my own still camera. Um, I brought memory cards that were very unique, special type that had not been manufactured in a while. Um, the camera did not have any memory of its own where you could hide stuff. I handed him my camera in view of my video. I had two video cameras actually monitoring this situation. Mm -hmm. And he didn't um, even blink so, an eye when you asked him to go through all of this. He was like, okay. No, he, he, he does it fairly routinely. And um, he has a sense of when, when this material is going to come through and when it isn't. He claims that he's not really uh, in charge of this, that there is a presence that works through him that enables this sort of thing to happen. And um, as you will see also in the film, I had the second camera that was monitoring the whole scene. And at one point, the exposure of that camera goes way dark, almost down to black, and then back up again. And Robert seems to be aware of this before it actually happens. And no one touched that camera. It's never done this sort of thing before or since. But there you can, you can actually see how this camera had been manipulated by some, some outside presence or force or whatever you want to call it. So um, you know, I think it's fascinating. I think it's great fun to, to <laughs> yeah. kind of expose myself to this sort of thing and, and see what it can do. Um, the, Robert's whole story is a, it's a very long and complicated and somewhat fraught story because this has been going on with him since he was a kid. He's now in his late 30s, I believe. 
and it hasn't been easy for him partly because uh, he's been attacked by skeptics mm -hmm. um, and so on. It's a long, long story, but I tried in the film, I try to confine his situation to what I've actually been able to control and experience. And that's what you'll see in the film. Oh gosh. As a viewer. And in my opinion, it was very well done and very cared for. Like I've seen some controlled experiments done with people like myself as a medium or so forth. And it's cringy. It's very hard to watch because it feels almost abusive. Mm. And watching Calling to Earth, which I can't wait to see like the full version <laughs> when you're here in May, none of that feeling. It was total excitement. Couldn't wait to see who you were going to engage with next because you took care of them. You didn't push or tear them apart. You let them be exactly who they were. Right. I think there's, you know, there, there's a tendency in 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 doing scientific exper scientific experimentation uh, to want to control things very tightly, and I understand that. Um, but I don't think it's always necessary to do that in in an insensitive or brutal way. You can control things with the cooperation of of your subjects, um, and I, that that's what I've what I've tried to do. I haven't had that many opportunities to do my own experimentation, however. And, but you, you will see again with Robert in, in Holland, um, how we handle that situation. And I'm very happy with how it turned out. Yes, me too. Yeah. So is this similar to what the skull experiment, skull experience is or skull, the skull experiment? Yes. Right. Yes. The, this, this was, um, uh, probably the most spectacular experiment in the realm of physical mediumship that that we know of. Uh, and physical mediumship, of course, is where um, <clears throat> conditions are created where those on the other side can produce physical phenomena in our physical world that can be preserved and studied or recorded in one way or another. The uh, Skoll experiment ran for five years between it was about 1994 and 1999 in that area uh, <clears throat> in the town of Skoll, which is this tiny hamlet about half hour northeast of Cambridge in England. And Lumineers, and, if you're listening, it's spelled S-C-O-L-E. Correct. Yes, Skoll. And um, it's, it's really a tiny village. You can walk across it in two minutes. And uh, this, the experiment took place in um, a 17th century farmhouse that was owned by the, uh, the two main experimenters, Robin and Sandra Foy, uh, who'd been doing this kind of thing for years. They were really ex experts in, in this whole field of physical mediumship. And they were joined by another couple uh, who were uh, accomplished mediums. And they worked together for, they did 500 sessions all of which were recorded on audio tape. Uh, these sessions were done in near total darkness, uh, so video wasn't really possible, uh, although they did do a limited number of video experiments, which you will also see in the film. But um, the interesting thing about this was that for a period of two years, the experiment was monitored by a group of investigators uh, from the uh, Society for Psychical Research in London. And these people were, were quite skeptical. They've seen, you know, they know all the tricks that are used to, to fake this sort of thing. And over the period while they were there, they found no evidence of trickery whatsoever. In, a, in addition, 
um, many guests were invited to uh, attend the sessions, including a number of, of scientists and engineers. And um, they, they held sessions also in some other European countries in the United States. Hundreds of people joined these sessions and witnessed them. And in no, in no instance was any trickery or fakery found at all. The, uh, the phenomena observed uh, were, were quite spectacular. Uh, I won't give too much of it away because I, <laughs> I hope people will come and, and yes. watch the film. Come and watch the film, uh, please. I'll, I'll just say one, I'll, I'll put one teaser in here um, that, that um, one of the things they experienced were called apports, uh, which are objects, physical objects that simply appear on their, on their t table in their, in their room. Uh, out of nowhere, which are said to have been brought from some other physical location. But the most spectacular of these were <clears throat> newspapers from the 1940s during the war that appeared on their table um, in pristine condition. The paper That's had, incredible. The paper had not yellowed. And this is in the late 1990s, so we're, we're talking about a 50-year span. Now, when Tim and I were there, um, which was after the experiment, a few years after the experiment had ended. So we reconstructed, we, we brought the, the participants together, we reconstructed some scenes representing how they worked uh, this experiment. But we also filmed these artifacts that had appeared out of nowhere. And the newspapers were quite incredible. Uh, the, the outer sheets of the newspaper had begun to yellow, but when you opened it up, the middle pages were still white. And these were newspapers from 1944, 1945. So um, this is very hard to explain by any, any normal yes. means, of course. That blows uh, my mind. Because <laughs> uh, it's one thing to have spirit be moving you know, objects. objects. That's what I'm thinking when you first started talking about this experiment. Oh, no. But to have actual objects from that time period show up is, it's, it's hard to even begin to understand it. I mean, the only thing in my life I can compare it to that has apported into my life are large white feathers. And uh. I just had one last week. I went into my office, which just got cleaned. The cleaners come on uh, Sunday. It was Monday morning. I went in, place was totally clean. I put down my bags. I went to the kitchen, went back into my room. And in the middle of my room was a four and a half inch white, perfect feather. And I don't know how it got there. We don't do arts and crafts here. And that's not a pillow stuffing goose down feather. And I have no idea. And I asked around and everybody looked at me like I was nuts. So, <laughs> but it's what my friend well, Mary Martin does when she comes to visit and she's in spirit. Well, this, you know, one of the, one of the questions that, that I find unsettled really is what's paranormal in the first place? How do <laughs> we know, how do we know how often this thing the sort of thing happens when people aren't going to talk about it mm -hmm. or when it happens sort of casually in their lives. Well, they'll, they'll explain it away one way or another, but perhaps these things happen more often than we know. Uh, and people just, it's more comfortable to sort of ignore it or write it off. Uh, I've had things appear and disappear in my life. And, you know, I think it's pretty neat that Wait. this can happen and it, it, it tends to support the notion that consciousness is senior to matter. 
Consciousness it, is senior it, it's, to matter. It's upstream from, from matter. Oh and there are physicists who, who, uh, who accept this idea. Uh, how it happens is a separate question. But the fact that it happens, I think, is the important thing to acknowledge, well, whether we understand it theoretically or not. Mm -hmm. Dan, you're reminding me of a story that you shared when we shot an episode of The Lighter Side Show over in San Fran with you. And you talked about seeing a man who had come to talk to you, was a friend of yours, I believe, but had passed away days before. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to recall that. it exactly. I don't either. So I'm, you don't? I'm, oh, I remember no. I, I stopped you and I was like, what? And you laughed and you said, I, you were humored about how excited and surprised I was about this because this is my livelihood and I've seen these things. But to that degree, you know, the man had passed away before you were at a grocery store and um, you had I, an I engagement with him. I actually don't remember that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is so common for you. We'll have to revisit yeah. the episode. Yeah, is it we'll in put the, the episode? episode. It's in the episode. You okay. told the story. So we'll put the well, link, Lumineers, yeah, to the video. To look, look that up and remind me of it. I mean, I've, I've, had, I've had communications from uh, a partner of mine who passed 2007 um, and, and other, other um, major or minor communications. But uh, I don't remember that one. So... <laughs> Please, We've got please it recorded. Look. That was in Check Jamie's reality. <laughs> Check it out. Let me know. Not in ours. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that we're running short on time here, but I would really like to know in showing the documentaries and having kind of an, an afternoon of digesting and talking about all the varieties of communication to the greater reality. Is there something that you wish to drive home or contribute to people's growth by doing this? Hmm. Well, I hope so. Um, I, I think I'd rather not get specific because in, in, the, in the process of dialogue is usually when it comes up and it comes up in various forms. So, um, you know, I, I don't I don't have any words of wisdom from on high, particularly uh, at this moment. Um, but I hope I hope that these will come through all of us when we're together. Yes, I love that answer. Me too. <laughs> I'm over and here I, shooting I, thumbs I up and like it. cheering them on. <laughs> I expect that it will as well. And I really look forward to my visiting Atlanta. It's only be my second time ever visiting there and look forward to seeing you guys again and visiting your center and seeing who shows up as well. Absolutely. I am too. Guys, there's only a limited amount of seats. So please head to the website, jamiebutlermedium.com and click on the events and we have it under classes. Mm -hmm. It's under classes and it's uh, May 10th and 11th that Dan will be joining us. And guys, it's not expensive. It's accessible to everybody. It's cheaper than going to the movies. And what you're going to get out of this is a lifelong shift. I can actually guarantee that one. A lifelong shift you will leave in a goodie bag. No. <laughs> within your body, within your energy. And it'll be a gift to all of us. Yes. Oh, so please reserve your seats now. So I'd, I'd hate to turn anybody you know, a way that really, really, really needed to be there. And maybe if 
we can have you back and we can do it all over again. Hmm. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Okay, I'm laying seeds. <laughs> or maybe a book maybe a book tour stop. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> oh, that's happening. <laughs> first, yeah. first things first. Let's, let's get this book <laughs> written and then we'll we'll think about a book tour. Yes. Well, for the Lumineers out there that are big researchers, please head to Dan Drazen's website, and that is dandrazen.com. And you also have another website. Newscience2020.com. Newscience2020.com. And of course, you are researchable galore, by the way. Oh, dear. Yes, you are Googleable. <laughs> He's Googleable. He's well, Googleable. There, there, there are several Dan Drazen's, so... Um... Not Dan Drazen's that do the work you do. Very unique. Uh-huh. And I watched several videos. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I know. It's fun, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I love you. I love everything that you do. Thank you so much for spending like, the time with likewise, us today. Likewise, and I can't wait for my visit. Yes. Thank you so much, Dan. All right, Lumineers. Thank you so much for being here and lending us your ears today. Remember, this is not woo-woo. It's true-true. Cue Colleen's laughter. <laughs> I was just thinking that really applies in this it really conversation. Applies. <laughs> Finally, yes. <laughs> really applies. The ideas expressed by guests and channeled guests on the Lighter Side Show podcast are not necessarily Jamie's personal beliefs. Information received from the Lighter Side Show podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical or psychological advice. For up-to-date info on Jamie, visit jamiebutlermedium.com and subscribe to the Lighter Side Network, Lumineers. I'll see you there. The Lighter Side Network, where the everyday meets the extraordinary.